We've, uh, we've been doing relationships the last few weeks. If you missed it, week one, we talked about singleness and the, uh, you know, how we need to really change a lot of our thinking around that, that the Bible has quite a different perspective of singleness than our culture and even than what the church has historically in the last you know, recent time uh, sort of approached it with. And then we talked last week about the key to every relationship out of Ephesians 5, I think verse 22, you know, submit to one another. Uh, out of reverence for Christ. And that's the key to every relationship you find yourself in. And I love uh, hearing even just this week, one husband said to me, he's like, we've been trying to compete in our marriage this week about who can serve each other the most. And I realised, man, she serves me way more than I serve and I gotta lift my game. But that is a great perspective. And uh, just, if you're gonna compete for something, compete for that. And today we wanna talk about... um, I guess like who we are in our relationships because as we go, so go our relationships. And I don't know if you've ever really experienced this, but The Simpsons portrays it perfectly. Old cartoons portray it. There's Homer Simpson and on one shoulder, he's got a little like demon telling him to do something that, he sh- that you know, that's not good, that's not healthy, that's not wholesome. And then on the other shoulder, there's pictured a little angel, you know, trying to convince him to do the right thing. And I don't know if you can identify with that, but I can identify with that, that there's times in my life where the very thing I don't want to do, I sort of find myself doing. And the very thing I should be doing, I find myself not doing. And like there's a war, there's a wrestle going on in us. And I think the Scripture speaks to that. And the the passage we're going to be in today is going to be speaking to that and how with Christ, we can win that war so that we can be a healthy person, a Christ-like person, and we can do our lives God's way. So therefore, our relationships increasingly go in God's direction. So... Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, If you've got your Bible here, otherwise it'll be up on the screen. Awesome. We're in the New Living Translation. It says that, With the Lord's authority I say this. Okay, we're listening. With the Lord's authority I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from what the life from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you have learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw away your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. 
So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Fantastic. Can I grab that off you for a sec? No. Thank you. No. <laughs> Get your own Bible. <laughs> this is mine. Get your own. Ah, relationships. Fantastic. Hey, this is, this is such a good piece of Scripture, and it's speaking to the church about how they relate to one another, and it recognises one of the big barriers in our relationships, and that is exactly what I was alluding to, the battle going on inside of each one of us. That in the Scripture, there's a big story, and we're invited to see our lives as a part of that story. That big story is creation, fall, and redemption. God creates us, we're perfect, we're a bare image to Him. We fall, Adam and Eve bring sin into the world, but we all fall, we've all been created, we're all fallen, we're corrupted beings. But Christ enters the world to reconcile us, to redeem us, to begin making things right. And so what this Scripture is going is telling us is like, this is the story and this is what's going on in our lives. And when we come to faith, that doesn't mean this is perfected. It just means Christ has come and His redeeming work has begun in us. It's come to us, but it doesn't get rid of the battle. What it does is it empowers us for the battle. When Christ comes into our life, it's not like the sinful nature's not like gone as far as its ability to influence us. We're forgiven, we're made righteous, but it still creeps around looking to subdue us and looking for us to follow our corrupted nature. Does that make sense? But Christ has come that we might overcome. And so here it says, but when we don't, we live a certain way and that way destroys our relationship. But thank goodness for Christ and thank goodness for His Spirit that we can partner with His grace and mercy to not follow the little demon on the shoulder, so to speak, but to follow the voice of Christ, to follow the power of Christ who helps us to live in a way that's healthy. And, and, and this is another way to see it. Like Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, to kill and destroy. But he said, but I have come to bring life. And so there is a real enemy in this life. There is real sin in our lives. And what it wants to do is it wants to destroy our relationships. It wants to kill our relationships. It wants to cause destruction. But Jesus, when he comes, he wants us to reconcile. He always wants to bring unity. One of the ways you can know if it's the angel or the demon is, is it gonna bring me closer to people? Is it gonna cause reconciliation and unity? If so, that's the work of Christ in my life. If it's gonna cause division, if it's gonna cause you know, hatred, if it's gonna pull us apart, that is not the work of Christ in our lives. So we're invited to partner with the work of Christ. Is there anything you wanna say about that? Hmm? Hmm. hmm? Yes, no? Hmm. No, okay. So why is this so important? 
Well, it's important because there are real things a part of our corrupted selves, our sinful selves that destroy relationships. Just in the scripture alone, it lists uh, lust and deception as corrupting our beings. It lists anger, and that shouldn't be any surprise because in the big story of God, Genesis chapter three is the fall. The very next story is Cain and Abel. And it says that Cain actually, it says that anger begins to overtake him and the Lord comes to him and says, watch out. In your anger, the devil like looms at your door. Sin looms at your door, ready to overtake you. And so of course, part of the fall is anger and anger that leads him to murder and destroys relationships. It says bitterness, harsh words, slander, gossip, greed, lying, stealing, evil behaviours, just in case he hasn't listed them all. This is the broken self, the corrupted self. And if we don't deal with that self, we take that into our relationships, wondering why our relationships don't go well. Like the person on their fifth marriage thinking the other person's still the problem. Right, and there's, there's no judgment in that, but at some point we need to wake up and be like, a healthy person creates healthy relationships. A Christ-like person will create Christ-like relationships. And so this passage lists a few things like kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving, truth-telling, generosity, uh, good and helpful speeches, encouragement, as sort of like the counterweights to when Christ is ruling in our hearts what our lives look like. Yeah, that's right. And that sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, that's like love, joy, peace. Um, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Who knows that you're going to have good relationships if that's what's in your heart, right? And so the fruit of the Spirit, is the, it's the Holy Spirit's work in us. We can't make that happen on our own. So we need to intentionally be partnering with the Spirit of God in us and intentionally reigning over the corrupted self. Does that make sense? And, um, and so how do we do that? How do we participate with the Holy Spirit to see this kind of fruit? Another way that could be said is how do we partner with the Christ man and not the Adam man? And there are some keys in the Scripture um, that we're going to look at. Yeah, I think there's four things. Like we're going to get practical at the end, but just like there's four things of like how do we in ourself partner with God so that we're increasingly becoming the Christ-like person in ourselves. And the first one here is in verse 23 in chapter four. It says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Having healthy relationships actually starts with your relationship with God. Having healthy relationships actually starts when you're alone. Like to have healthy relationships, it's fostered when it's just you and Jesus. It's fostered in prayer. It's fostered in reading the Scripture. It's fostered in meditation and solitude. It's fostered in these spiritual practices that give the Spirit of God room in you. Like Jesus didn't just, like we didn't just agree right things and He promises to save us one day. He gave us His Spirit. And so in our lives, we need to have habits and practices that give space for that Spirit to shape our thinking to shape our inner world so that what naturally comes out is the Christ person, not the fallen person. Yeah, that's so good. The second part of this verse, a key in there is, says to put on your new nature. 
Put on your new nature. When we, when we believe in Jesus, when we're born again, we're, we are given this new nature. And so I like to think of like when you're getting dressed in the morning, putting on that new nature. What does it mean? We've got this wrestle inside of us. We've got this Christ man. We've got this Adam man. It's about identifying with the Christ in us, not the other way. So I think so many of us are, are weary we're burdened because we identified with the sinful part in us and we're just trying to be like Christ because we're identifying, we're saying like, this is me and I'm doing my best. But we, as put, when it says to put on your new nature, it's about identifying with the Christ in us. That's me, that's who I am. There's sin here at play, yes, that I'm wrestling with, but that's who I am. And I, every day I'm gonna put on my new nature and identify with that. That's right. So that's number mm. two. Number three is it found in verse 30, and mm. it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. It says, do not grieve in other translations. I want to reframe this to make it a key for you. It's like, think about what pleases the Lord. Like, consider in your behaviour what pleases the Lord. And if actually in our lives, we take time not just to consider what I want, what I need, what somebody else is doing wrong, but instead we dwell on what is the attitude and practices that is pleasing to the Lord, suddenly those are more likely to come out of us as we dwell on those things. And then last but not least, it's in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Uh, and then it goes on, it says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And I saw this like one online, it's like, you know, you've heard the saying, children will do what you do, not do what you say, right? But I saw someone be like, that's not true because I clean up after myself every day and they never do. But, but there is something about like imitation, right? There is something about like when it says imitate or follow the example, it's going, okay, yeah, you can give time to the Holy Spirit. You can put on the new nature. You can dwell on what pleases Christ. But discipleship is an incredibly practical thing. And that's good because I'm a pragmatic person. It's like when I, when I want to learn something, I want to learn how to change the oil in the car, I'm going to get the YouTube video out. I'm going to follow it. And then I'm going to imitate the different steps in the process. Or like I like to play golf and my swing's pretty average. And so I get little videos out and be like, okay, they do that there. And, I, and as I imitate it, I get better at it. And so we're going to dive into like if the fourth thing, fourth thing here is imitate, just getting practical on some of the things that invites us to imitate Christ in. Yeah, and you can get really practical with that. I mean, to imitate someone, I mean, you're going to have to pay attention, right? You need to yeah. pay attention. You need to be looking to them. I um, read a book last year. I was really challenged. It was by Dallas Willard, and he talked about being a disciple of Christ. And he said, it's not something you can just say that you're it now and forevermore. He said, I'm a disciple of Christ if I'm actually being discipled in some way. So if, if, God, if Jesus is my rabbi and I am learning a particular thing from him at the moment. So that's how he would say it. And at that time, um, last year, we had some really tough circumstances and I was just feeling very sorrowful and I was just finding it really hard to have any type of joy. And I know that the joy of the Lord is not a circumstantial joy, right? It's a joy that's beyond that. It's a joy that we get just in knowing that we can trust Him and knowing that He has got the best for us and knowing that um, I can actually leave some things in His hand and be present in my day and enjoy my relationships. And so I thought, all right, 
well, if I'm actually a disciple, I'm going to be learning joy. And so I did the best thing. It's been about six months now. It's changed my life. Every Wednesday is my joy day. And so I practice joy every Wednesday intentionally. So what does that look like? In the morning when I have my Bible time, I'm searching up scriptures about joy. That's what I'm that's what I'm meditating on. That's what I'm praying about. And then like, hey, I'm not going to book in meetings that are going to be a drag that day. That can happen on Tuesday or Thursday. Not my joy day, you know. Um, and then, but anyway, I've been practicing my joy. And so that looks like, oh, I'm going to pick a meal that I really want to cook. I'm going to turn on the French music. When the kids say, let's get ice cream, it's like, yes. Should we bounce on the tramp? Yes. Should we play football? Yes. You know, like it is my joy day. And what is really cool is that has spilt over. And now, because I've been practicing it so much, when things come my way that are real tough, I can know that, yes, that joy and pain can coexist and that things can be hard and it's not about not feeling it. It's not about not feeling sad sometimes and not feeling that it's tough, but knowing the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I've been practising it and so I'm seeing the fruit of that. It's really fun. So if I ask to have lunch on Wednesday and you say no. <laughs> depends, <laughs> depends what mood you're in. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you text Usually, Katie and be like, we should meet today, no, and she don't. says no. <laughs> <laughs> don't take offence. I might actually have a full day or I might just, I don't know. <laughs> Everyone is taking advantage of my joy day. My family loves my joy day. Oh, yeah, they know how to work it, for sure. <laughs> it's working well for me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> But can you hear the practical element of discipleship? God wants me to live with joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. How am I going to learn to live with joy? I need to do some things. I need to try some things. I need to be intentional. And as I do that, even in one day a week, it spills over into my life. So in relationships, how do I partner with the Christ in me, not just the, the broken self of me. And the more I can just get practical around that, the more that's gonna come out and I'm gonna be better for it because nothing God leads us into, even though he, you know, we're called to embrace suffering, it ultimately is for our good and other people's good yeah. anyway. Everything Christ invites us into is for our benefit. Mm. It's for our good in the end. So he's not asking us, you know, to mm. carry our cross, not for a gain not for something that's not worth it. And so here, there's a whole bunch of things. We'll start on verse 25 and we'll go down to verse 31. It starts and it says, Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. The enemy, he wants to divide our relationships. He wants to divide our marriages. He wants to divide our churches. He wants to divide our families. He wants to divide our friendships. How does he do that? One of the ways is he teaches us to be deceptive. He's the father of lies. And when we're telling less than the truth, when we're not speaking the truth in love, when we're not being vulnerable and open with each other, we are deceiving each other, whether intentionally or not. And those gaps give an opportunity for the enemy to have a field day and pull people apart. So the Christ-like life invites us to practise truth-telling. Yeah. Sometimes truth-telling is courageous. Hey, 
you actually did hurt me. I know I said it was all good, but you really hurt me. I'm really struggling. I actually need something different going forward. That's courageous truth-telling that allows the opportunity for people to come together. Sometimes when somebody says to you, how you're doing, and they're a friend, and they're a trusted person, you go, yeah, yeah, all good, not bad, but you're actually not, like there's times and places, but you're not actually doing that good, but you're hiding that. You're, you're, you're giving a gap. Like I remember a friend like years ago telling me all these things he was struggling with, and then I just thought I was doing a good job at listening. And he was like, you got anything? And I was like, no, well, I thought his things were quite extreme. So I was like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sweet. Um, but then years later, I was telling him about some struggles. He's like, why didn't you say those back then? Like, you know, like, because I was bearing my heart and you were being less than honest. And it, it actually caused the gap in our relationship rather than the vulnerability to bring us together. And so... Uh, we want to practice truth-telling. It says like 50 times in the Gospels, Jesus says, truly I tell you. You know, like he's speaking truth. Jesus is the truth. And so we want to practice truth-telling. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. Um, the next bit of passage we're going to look at in there um, to partner with the Christ self, um, it says, do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you were still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Practice leaving yesterday's frustrations in yesterday. Practice leaving it there. I love how practical that is. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Practice that. It's so simple. Um, hey, look, there may be conversations that need to be addressed the next day. There may be things that need to be sorted out the next day. But leave the frustration, leave the anger there, right? You can still have the conversations without the anger. And it's okay to say, you know, things can get really heated, right? Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with a workmate. Maybe it's your spouse. Things can get heated. And it's okay to say, hey, could we just kind of peg this conversation, like pin it here, and while I just take a little bit of time to cool off, and then we'll go back to it. It is okay to say that. It says that anger gives the, a foothold to the devil, what does that mean? So the scripture, when it refers to a foothold, a foothold is referred to a place or a position that once gained serves as a foundation for further attack, for further action taken. And so it's saying if, if, when we are angry, it opens the door. It opens the door for the enemy. And so it pulls us apart. It creates disunity. And so let's practice like Elsa, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. Um, and maybe, maybe this is really something for you. Hey, maybe you might need to choose one day a week that you're practicing peace and you're practicing letting things go. Yeah. And I think, like, sort of like in the, the, it tells us not to lie, but to tell the truth because we're one body, yeah. because we are unified, because God is. You know, he's unifying us. He's reconciling us. So anything that pulls us apart and it tells us not to, you know, it tells us really to deal with our anger because otherwise the devil has a field day. Otherwise he gets a step in there. And the, in our culture, it can sort of be like masculinity can be associated with anger, like it's sort of justified. 
but it's not. And even righteous anger in the scripture is not justified. It actually tells us to get rid of all types of anger. And so I know, like I think in our earlier years, I, I definitely had some anger issues and I had to deal with those things. And if we don't deal with those things, they do give a foothold to the devil. And so my encouragement to you, if you're like, yeah, that's my one, uh, like out of all those things, is like, please meet with a pastor. Please come and help us get you with a Christian counselor, a psychologist, so that we can get to the root of those things so you can learn to practice in your daily life, not carrying things from yesterday into today that you weren't designed to carry. Like, it's worth it. It totally is. It goes on and it says... um, If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. You might be thinking, that's weird, like relationships, I'm not stealing. But often we can be like, look to take more than we give. Or other places in scripture, it says, where there's division, there's always selfish ambition and jealousy. And so sometimes in our relationships, we can be like jealous of others, jealous of what they have. And the practice that invites us into to deal with that thing in ourselves, that thing that thinks we should be to take or we deserve it or whatever, is actually invites us to give, to give generously. Very practical thing. I know in my life in different seasons, I've experienced like whether it's looking over the fence at another pastor or church, and it's like, I'm jealous of what God's doing there or something. And it can like, a comparison can get me and those sort of things. But I've learned in the scripture, what do I do in those moments? I'm getting my phone out. I'm texting that pastor. I'm letting them know I'm praying for them. I'm praying that God does even more good stuff. I'm sending them a gift. I'm sending them a card. I'm doing something to counteract that spirit. I'm not just like, I feel bad for thinking those things. No, that's not practicing discipleship. Practicing discipleship is doing what the scripture says. Bless. Give generously. Do do the opposite thing to counteract that spirit. Yeah. yeah. Don't beat yourself up because you're yeah. human. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. Um, the next one is uh, it's encourage. It says, don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And I know um, as Kiwis, we're not traditionally really good at encouragement. I remember the first time I went to the States, I was like, I was almost like a bit like, I didn't know what to do with all of this like encouragement, like just coming at me. Kiwis um, don't encourage because they're afraid you'll get a big head. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, and you know, and maybe even you grew up in a house and encouragement was kind of absent, like words of encouragement. I just encourage you, practice it, practice it. In our house, we say practice makes progress, not practice makes perfect, just practice it. My friend said to me, because she definitely didn't grow up in a house where encouragement was like spoken at all, and she said, when I encourage people, it just looks like I make them uncomfortable. And I said, well, just do it to me like you would (laughs) to someone else. And really awkwardly, she put her hand on my shoulder and was like, I think you're, you're amazing. And I was like, yeah, that really was awkward. You need a practice. <laughs> like next time you see me doing something that you actually like admired, just, just say, hey, that was cool. You know, <laughs> um, um, you know there are pow- there's, there's life and death in the, in the tongue. There's life and death in the tongue and we can use it to build up, to bring life. With our kids, I ended up saying to them because they argue, they can argue a lot. I I have um, four, you know, like you know, like no, real our kids are angels. strong they personalities. 
I love strong personalities. Um, but when they like start to like argue with each other and I could see someone's about to say something, I'd be like, boop, is it kind? Is it helpful? And they're like, it's true. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but is it kind? No. Is it helpful? No. And you can see them like want to burst because they just want to say the thing, right? But I want them to practice filtering their thoughts, filtering these words so that they can decide. I want them to be able to see what is going to speak life and what is going to speak death. And so practice encouragement, practice encouragement. I did this even, um, I remember really intentionally doing it in our family, just speaking so much encouragement. And I remember, never forget when Micah was six years old, I don't even know what he meant by it. But he said, Mum, you're so nice. It's like you're my servant. (laughs) I don't even know what he meant by that. But he was obviously really impacted by all of my encouragement. (laughs) goes on and it goes, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So Mm. we already talked about dwelling on what pleases the Lord, but it's telling us, why do we do that? Because God's actually in us. Yeah. His spirit is in us. And when we follow the old man, the old self, we actually, we're, we're living not true to the presence that is now indwelling within us. And because that presence is now in us, it says then get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander. It's sort of like a summary of what's been talked about as well as all types of evil behaviour. Because why? Because it's just not fitting with who you are anymore. It's not fitting with God. It doesn't fit anymore. And that's why you experience a battle. It's it's ill-fitting. And then it goes, instead... Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And I think this is like constantly, we don't want to dwell on like, devil, get off my shoulder. We want to dwell on, angel, what are you calling me into? What are you, Christ, what are you speaking into me? What are you, like we want to focus on who we're becoming, not who we're running away from. And I think there's a real reason why it says instead be kind, uh, tender-hearted and forgiving. And we'll just start with forgiving because it's like, for, when an offence occurs, and offences are naturally going to occur, one, some, like we're all broken and we do dumb stuff and we hurt each other. And sometimes in those moments, we meant to hurt the person because we're following the wrong self. And sometimes we hurt the person unintentionally. We're not even aware we did. We're just maybe clumsy or, you know, just whatever it was. And this stuff happens all the time. And when that happens, relationships get an opportunity to fracture and start going the devil's well, the devil, the devil's way. But when we choose forgiveness, we choose the opposite spirit, and we take what could have pulled us apart, and we say, "No, no, no, you're not going anywhere. Stay here. Stay close." We we don't give a gap. And forgiveness, like I mean, I, I think I was harsh with um, our daughter Violet this week, and. I knew it straight away and it's about me, not her. And I went after her. She ran away crying and I went, I'm so sorry, Violet. That's, that, that was not okay. Uh, would you please forgive me? She goes, it's okay. And I go, no, 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 it's not okay. That's why I'm here asking for forgiveness. And she goes, okay, I forgive you. And sometimes in our practice of our speech, we should just say what we mean. Like when we go, it's okay. Well, it's not okay. Otherwise nobody would be upset here. If it was all okay, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. It's not okay, but I can forgive you. 
I can no longer hold that against you. I can no longer hold that sin against you. And when we do that, we clean the ledger. We clean the slate. We're not pretending. And what happens is we're now partnering with Christ for reconciliation. We're partnering with Christ for unity when we practice forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation can always occur because reconciliation takes two people. But forgiveness means as much as it's up to me, I'm not holding it against them. I'm not letting the devil get in the midst of this relationship in this way. And so we wanna practice forgiveness. We practice it in our prayers. We practice it by speaking forgiveness to each other. We practice it by not pulling out the list of everything they've done wrong, married couples, you know, like you always. No, that's not practicing forgiveness. If you're saying you always, that means you're keeping a record of wrongs. And so we, we can practice this stuff. Um, yeah, let it go. Let it go. Yeah. Tender-hearted, compassionate. I think those things are self-explanatory. It's like, it actually, the word is like from the bowels, from the gut. Um, it's like, it, it's like walk sensitive to other people. And when we, I think, I know in myself, when I can walk slower in my relationships, I can be more sensitive to what's going on in other people. When I'm walking quickly, it's easy to do damage. But when I'm walking slowly, it gives time for the gut to rise and to be like, oh, they need something more tender in this moment. And so I think that's just the way we can practice that. And it says to be kind to each other. Be kind to each other. And I think that starts with dwelling on kindness, doesn't it? Thinking about what, what if I was being kind right now, what would that look like? And maybe that really sticks out to you today. So I would encourage you, practice random acts of kindness. <laughs> maybe pick one day a week, maybe pick one person a week and just be kind, be kind towards them, practice it. When, when people are learning to spot counterfeit money, they do not study counterfeit money. They do not dwell on counterfeit money. They do not look at the thousands of types of counterfeit money. They solely study the real thing. And as they dwell on the real thing every day, as they gaze upon the real thing, as they know the real thing in and out, they can spot a counterfeit in a split second. This is the key to transformation in Christ. Don't focus on who you're running away from. Focus on Christ. Look to Him. Look to the author and the perfecter of your faith. Imitate Him. Follow His example. Think about what pleases Him. Dwell on who He saved you to be. Think about your righteousness. Think about how forgiven you are. Think about what He's done for your life. Dwell on His love. Dwell on His kindness. Dwell on His mercy. Dwell on His grace. The more you set your attention there, it's like you just live into it. Yeah, and every now and then the old self catches up and you go, yeah, but I've been running away from you for a very long time. And so I'm just gonna keep getting on with the journey. And as we do that, we can trust. We become healthier and we create health all around us when that happens. So keep looking to Jesus. Great. Should we pray? Go for it. Yeah. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord. We thank You for just that miracle that Christ is in us. 
We thank You, Lord. We thank You, Father, for the gift of Your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to partner with Your Holy Spirit. We want our lives to be um, a vessel of Your Spirit. We want the, the fruits of Your Spirit to be felt in every relationship, in every interaction, Lord. And so God, for, for those of us in this room that are really wrestling, we feel that those forces of Adam kind of rising up in us. Lord, I pray that You would just refill us now. I just pray for a refreshment now of Your Spirit, just for an infilling, Lord, um, that we might know Your Spirit and recognise Your Spirit's work again and with confidence partner with Your Spirit. Yeah, Lord, we declare that we identify with the Spirit in us, with the Christ in us. So have Your way in our relationships. Mend what You need to mend. Heal what You need to heal. Convict us. Us, Holy Spirit, and guide us, empower us in Jesus' name. Amen.